1: We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a series of author-hosted podcasts uh, distributing literary content to a worldwide audience. I'm your host, Landis Wade, a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here. Very quickly, before we get to the uninterrupted interview today, a few quick words about some of the benefits uh, for our listeners. Number one. We have show notes uh, for every episode uh, with images, links, and information about our authors at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And number two, if you're into audiobooks, uh, we have a relationship with Libro.fm, which supports indie bookstores. If you sign up with Libro to get your audiobooks and use the promo code Charlotte Reader, you'll get an extra audiobook free. Number three, if you go to charlottereaderspodcast.com or my personal website, landiswade.com, and you sign up for the book report, you're going to get it every other Tuesday. And here's what you'll get. Recommended readings, author interviews and videos, reading and writing tips, doses of inspiration, a free ebook by yours truly, and more. We won't spam you. That takes way too much time. And finally, we've got a lot of great content that we put out on our exclusive Patreon channel. If you like what we do here, uh, that is our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, and you'd like to help us uh, defray the costs of this project, you can jump over to Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast, and you can tap into all the great extra content we've got that's curated by our authors and me about uh, their writing lives and the craft and business of writing and other things, too. But enough with the prologue, let's get to the uninterrupted story of our guest and the one they've written. In today's episode, we visit with Susan Wilson, author of Rock Bottom, a Cult Jessup novel. The first book in the Cult Jessup series, a fast-paced and spellbinding thriller with a hint of romance. Isabella Luca's twin sister Brianna is dead, and Isabella refuses to accept that her sister could have died by suicide. She returns to Charlotte from New York to find out the truth, enlisting the help of Detective Colt Jessup, a vice cop who knew about Brianna's history of addiction. As they come closer to finding the killer, Isabella finds herself in mortal danger, and only Jessup can prevent her from becoming the next victim. Bob Rogers, author of The Laced Shyamalan, calls the book a superb mystery and thriller with a new level of action entertainment while providing insights into addiction, embezzlement, greed, and policing. Susan, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, Congratulations on the book. Oh, thank you. You and I, we first met, I think, at Park Road Books about five years ago. I was there to plug my first book. I think you were there with your husband. I think it might have been your second or your third book at the time. And I bought your, I think it was Good Gone Bad. Is that the one? Yes,
0: uh that was my first book.
1: Your first book. Yeah. And you're now up to how many? Seven?
0: I have seven. I'm working on my eighth.
1: Uh, okay, what do you do, put one out every year?
0: Um, usually, uh, the last book, Rock Bottom, bottom took me uh, 18 months.
1: Okay, so all right. It
0: took me 65,000 65, words that I had to put in some coherent order. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, and that's why it took you longer, I guess. Uh, yeah. Well, you said uh, you made the mistake in your first novel, Good Gone Bad, of killing off your best character. Yes. Uh, talk about that.
0: Well, his name was Streaker, and he was a former cop who went to the dark side, and that's where the title came, Good Gone Bad, and everybody loved this particular character, and uh, I hated that I killed him off, because I wanted to write him again, so I just invented his brother, and his brother is uh, Colt Jessup, who is um, part of my new series that I started, and he has some of the similar traits as his brother, and uh, likes to go rogue and doesn't always follow by the rules. So he was a lot of fun to write. So I'm having a good time with Colt, and uh, look forward to him being in in future novels.
1: Well, you could have gone the paranormal route and brought you know your first character back in the second book somehow through some you know supernatural means or something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I could have done that, but I chose not to. <laughs> yeah, that's not
1: that's not what you write. You write the well, uh the, the, the suspense thrillers with a with a touch of romance. Um now a little bit about you, Susan. Um you're the author of Rock Bottom and six other romantic suspense novels. First of all, what is a romantic suspense novel?
0: Um, it's um a fast-paced uh page turner. It's uh, really not quite as um intense as a thriller. Is very similar to a mystery, and what I write is um, not a cozy mystery, but it's more like a hardball detective story, and um, that's a good way for me to reach uh, a bit wider market because uh, women like my books a lot for the romance, but the guys like the rough uh, characters and some of the hardball uh, techniques that I use in the
1: stories. Yeah, you you've you said that you. Or a woman trapped in the body of a sweet Southern belle, that you release your inner wild child by creating gritty stories where the sparks fly. Um, Talk about talk about that. I think
0: (laughs) that pretty much sums me up. Uh, I didn't realize that until my daughter uh, said that. That she said, "Mom, everybody thinks you're so sweet and innocent and such a uh, polite Southern lady." she said, but I think that you're a tall blonde in a leather jacket on a motorcycle. And, uh, <laughs> and I had to laugh at that. But that's kind of like what I like to read is kind of gritty stuff. Uh, I like the gritty movies. My favorite movie is Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. I don't watch the uh, I'm not into the uh, run coms. So a lot of women are so I like things kind of gritty. So That's uh, what I like to read, and so that's what I write.
1: Yeah, and I think someone said your first novel, Good Gone Bad, with its steamy sex scenes and trash-talking criminals, was a drastic departure from your work as a church administrator.
0: Uh, Yes. Um, Fortunately, (laughs) I wasn't in the ministry part of it. (laughs) I I dealt with uh, numbers and accounting and uh, expenses and revenue, so... um, Thankfully, I wasn't in the ministry part, but it I could actually write a book on my experience working for churches, and it could either be a sitcom or it could be a drama because I saw both sides.
1: Yeah, well, there's uh, I'm sure uh, you know we've seen uh, a lot of preachers over the years get caught up in steamy sex scenes, scene scandals. So, uh, but uh, you, you, what you're saying is that uh, your outward persona sometimes surprises people about what yeah. you write what you write and what you put in these books. Is it a form of escape for you? I mean, they say that authors sometimes like to write what they like to read. Is that is that what you ascribe to?
0: Uh, yes, that's what I do. Um, I, I like uh, Sandra Brown and Tammy Hogue and the type of books that they write, which is romantic suspense, but it's uh, gritty. And so that's um, what I write. It's like what I like to read.
1: Yeah, and you've gotten some uh, some good praise, uh, you know, based on what I said at the outset of the show. And uh, uh, there's Jennifer Ruff, who was on, who's been on our podcast, and she's a USA Today best author here in Charlotte. She talks about you. You always have a smooth, solid mystery with the cop and detective storyline as realistic as they get, and a little romantic fire and tension burning in the background. I'd like to talk to you, Susan, because we talked about this before um, about how you gained your knowledge. Uh, this needed to write, you know, this kind of book. I'm sure you didn't get it working uh, in the office as a church administrator.
0: No, I didn't. Um, at first, I started out writing romance, and I was bored with that. And I wanted to write uh, police procedure and things like that, detective stories. But I didn't have the background for that. So what I did was I attended three citizens' police academies, and I learned uh, so much knowledge from them and gained contacts too. And uh, like in the Mecklenburg County Sheriff's Office, they have some role playing scenes with uh, their students, where you actually have like a hostage situation and a flashbang, and uh, you have a uh, unruly uh, prisoner who they come in and take down and things like that. And all of this is role playing. And uh, then, of course, my favorite part was probably the canine dogs and seeing uh, their training and things like that. So it was a great experience. I would recommend it for anyone. Not a, You don't have to write a, a, a detective story to enjoy it. It's for all citizens and you learn a new respect for our police officers and all the uh, different um, aspects of their job there's so many specialties in law enforcement
1: yeah that, that's a great program i think um you know that uh it'd be worth taking advantage of because learning empathy for what others are experiencing what they're going through is a big part of perhaps this country coming together you know on, on some things right. um, so okay well, let's talk about the book title a minute uh, and also the book cover starting with the book title rock bottom. Of course, you deal with addiction in this issue, so I'm going to guess uh, that that has something to do with the, the title, uh, but uh, y- you tell me.
0: Uh, yes, it does. Um, one sister, Brianna, uh, is a former addict, and uh, she uh, eventually overcomes her addiction. But when the other sister meets the detective, Colt Jessup, he uh, she accuses him you arrested my sister over and over again he said well your sister reached rock bottom Mm -hmm. and that's where the title comes from of course she didn't know at the time that he was also involved with her getting treatment and help and uh, how she got clean
1: and and for you do your titles come to you um, early or do they come to you during the writing process
0: uh, amazingly, sometimes I have the title before I have the book. Mm-hmm. I, I come up with a great title, and I thought, I need to write a book around this. <laughs>
1: That's great. S- sometimes authors, are, you know, like those parents in the delivery room who, who, who the hospital saying, you know, you, you got to name this thing before you, you can take it home.
0: You know? Right. Exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you got to name this thing before we publish it, so uh, you know hurry up and do that. All right, talk about the book cover. Um, your book uh, covers have gotten I've noticed uh, better and better over the years from when you right. you first started. Talk about that evolution. I think it'd be interesting to people to hear about the cover process.
0: Well, the cover process is always difficult uh, because you want to get something that will really attract uh, the reader and it's very important. Um my uh, daughter has designed two of my covers, and I've also used other uh, professionals to do it. Uh, this last book cover of Rock Bottom was done by Tim Barber, and he actually lives in the United Kingdom. And uh, when I first contacted him, it was right when the pandemic was starting, and we were talking about what was going on in each other's country. Um, but he came up with several designs, and uh, we worked this out. But um, I want to always show a cover that kind of reflects what the story is about.
1: Yeah, so this cover has uh, a, a dark foreboding look to it. Um, you know, top right-hand corner looks like some shades are partially drawn with a little light peeking through, but the room is dark, It's uh, and there's a woman laying on her back on the floor, mm-hmm. uh, partially clothed. Um, a little sensuousness to it, but uh, it doesn't look like she's stirring at the moment. So you're giving kind of a, a immediacy to this uh, to this story here that something terrible has happened, right? And, and maybe you ought to pick up this book and find out what, right?
0: Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so what about uh, Colt Jessup? Um, that name, I love that name. It has sort of a, I don't know, a gunslinger feel to it uh is was that your intention with the name
0: yes he's a country boy and he wears cowboy boots and he's kind of like a road cowboy so that's why i picked that name mm.
1: okay. well um so we got this uh series that means uh colt's coming back uh in the future.
0: yes uh All he's right. coming back and i have two more books planned after that and he could go beyond that but uh We see a lot of Colt in his personal life, and his personal life is evolving as we go.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the um, book here quickly before we do a reading. Um, So Rock Bottom is the first, as we said, in the Colt Jessup series. Um, There's a body of a young woman who's discovered early in the book and also on the cover. Um, And all signs indicate that she died of either suicide or an accidental overdose. But someone is not willing to accept that diagnosis, correct?
0: Uh, Correct. That is her sister who uh, knows that her sister would not have done this, not have killed herself, and would not have gone back to drugs. And so she's determined to find out what really happened to her sister. And if it was suicide, then she feels somewhat responsible because the day before her body was found, they had this big argument, and she actually hung up on her sister. So, if it's suicide, she's gonna, she has a lot of guilt with that. And so, she is determined to find out what really happened, and she's not buying the suicide.
1: Yeah, and you're gonna have a little reading in just a minute where um, this uh, main character, Isabella, is. Uh, Sort of in contact, uh, maybe conflict or whatever, with uh, Colt Jessup early in the book, but uh, eventually she believes that the only person who can help her uh, is this detective. Um, but then he's reluctant to get involved. Why is he reluctant to get involved?
0: Well, he's right in the middle of one of the biggest undercover operations of his career. He's involved in a with a task force with the federal uh, with the feds. And they're getting ready to take down a big shipment of heroin that's coming into the city. And so they've been planning for months. He's been undercover. And so this is really a distraction to have to help this girl. He only decides to get involved when he finds out that his uh, confidential informant, who he's lost contact with, was, uh, involved with this girl and may be responsible for her death or at least was there when she did die. So he's, uh, decides to join forces with this young woman to find out what really happened.
1: Now Susan, how much of your work here in this book is, uh, based on research or your imagination? In other words, did you, uh, try to determine, you know, information about heroin shipments and how that works and undercover operations, uh, and uh to the locale where you set it, or is part of this your imagination?
0: Um, it's both. Um, I did uh, extensive research on this and uh, listened to interviews by former addicts um, on the internet and also the uh, investigation process of what cops go through and undercover. Um, but a lot of it is my imagination, and I think this is a a big problem in our country now, and I think everybody knows something about it, and so I wanted to address it.
1: Gotcha. Okay, well, uh, on Chartreuse Podcast, uh, part of our brand is having authors uh, read their work, and uh, it's now time for you to do that. Before you do it, uh, we're not at the very beginning of the book, but we're early in the book. Set up this scene for us. Tell us who's in the scene and uh, where the scene is taking place.
0: Uh, This scene is where Isabella has already met Colt Jessup, and she met him at the memorial service for her sister, and they uh, butted heads because she accused him of arresting her sister over and over, and where is his compassion, and he comes back pretty snarky with her and says, well, your sister hit rock bottom, and if you want someone to coddle, then you need a puppy, you know, and so— Um, They didn't hit it off. And then she she finds out from her mom that he actually helped in her recovery. And so then she feels bad because she didn't uh, speak very kindly to him at the uh, service. So she she wants to track him down. And in this scene, um, she does track him down at a bar. And she wants to apologize, but she also wants to ask for his help and uh, help finding out what happened to her sister. But unknown to her, he's in the middle of a uh, undercover, and he's getting ready to meet with a drug dealer.
1: All right, well, take it away.
0: How did you find me? Detective Jessup had to shout at Isabella to be heard over the jukebox music. He narrowed his eyes and frowned. His hands wrapped around a shot glass of whiskey. He brought it to his lips and threw it back emptying the contents in one swallow. Isabella hopped up on the stool at his side. Now that he was on home turf, his public persona changed somewhat. She understood why Brianna felt comfortable around him. Behind his toughness, she sensed a teddy bear. The tenderness in his eyes made her think he generally gave a damn. Well, are you going to tell me? How did you find me? His annoyance did not intimidate her. Tyres by short-tempered conductors, did, but not him. You gave him a little smile, just so he'd know. Someone at the reception desk at police headquarters told me I'd find you here. Was it a big, burly guy with a shaved head? Yes, how did you know? Barton, figure, son of a bitch. He tapped his hand on the surface of the bar. Well, you can't stay. I got a blind date coming any minute now. You better skedaddle. I came to apologize. I was rude today, and I'm sorry. Apology accepted. Now go. His eyes wandered from her head to her toes. She was still wearing the dress she wore to the memorial service. And by the way, this side of town is no place for a lady. It was home to Brianna. He gave her silence. He held his empty glass mid midair gesturing to the bartender for another. I don't mean to be rude, but you gotta go. You can't stay. But I need to discuss something with you. She followed his gaze to the door, expecting to see his date walk in, perhaps a busty blonde and a short tight skirt and a top showing cleavage, maybe all leather, probably black. Instead, a greasy-looking guy with slick back, dark hair, to his shoulders entered. Despite the heat, he wore a hoodie and baggy jeans. Elaborate tattoos adorned both sides of his neck. My date's here. Now go. Isabella's mouth gaped open. Him? That's your date? Colt answered with a grin. Wow. I. I well, just wow. Colt's knee jerked up and down in frenetic pace. The bruiser got closer. Colt massage the back of his neck with one hand. Okay, if you won't go, just sit over there. This won't take long. Now, Scram, sit in the booth in the corner. She shrugged. I still need to talk to you. It's important.
1: Yeah, that's good. Um, and then it goes on uh, in that scene. Uh, he finally comes back to her for meeting with the undercover person. And, uh, you know, she's looking around to make sure no one else is eavesdropping. And she says, Detective Jessup, I'm not convinced my sister committed suicide and I need your help.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. So she doesn't much care for him at the outset, but then she tries to make it uh, such that uh, they, they work together. Um, well, let's do this a second. Uh, you talked about the romance. You want to give any hints without giving anything away from the book about uh, where the romantic uh, spark uh, fills in in this particular book?
0: Uh, yes, it does. And um It happens with Isabella, and she um reconnects with her ex-boyfriend uh, who uh, she left in New York, and they haven't seen each other in two or three years. And actually, uh, he becomes a suspect, and he's harping a secret, and she doesn't know whether to trust him or not. But um, so it's kind of... Uh, on again, off again, whether or not to trust him, and uh, whether or not they can rekindle their romance. But uh, it's at the end, sparks uh, fly. And it, what <laughs> what I like about books is I don't write a lot about the love scenes, uh, the sex scene. Uh, what I think people enjoy is the sexual tension and the flirtation and the. Uh, Rebuke of uh, uh, of an advance, and then coming together, and then you know you always see in romance movies where they kind of butt heads, and then at the end they come together. Right. And women yeah. enjoy that, so I have a lot of that.
1: That's good. Well, all right. So talking about Isabella, uh, the main character, um, you know, she's got these two men in her life now: the the rough and burly detective and this uh, mysterious boyfriend, but uh, She is a 29-year-old opera singer who leaves her life in New York to return home after the death of her sister. And I think you said uh, that your daughter, Christina, was the motivation for this character. Talk about that.
0: Uh, Yes, that's correct. Actually, um, I had dinner with my daughter uh, a couple of years ago, and she said, Mom, why don't one of your characters, why isn't she ever an opera singer? And I said, well, I don't know that much about it. I know you are an opera singer, but I don't know much. She says, well, I'll help you. And this was a good chance for us to bond. And so she did help me, especially there's a scene near the beginning of the book where Isabella is getting ready to go on stage and uh, perform in an opera. And she doesn't know about her sister's death and nobody is telling her. So, uh, my daughter helped me a lot with that scene and also with the opera and I use that opera as symbolism in the book is uh Tosca and uh the nemesis for uh, the uh, the opera singer is Scarpia, and she's comparing Scarpia with the killer in the book and says so she wished she could do the same thing to him for killing. A Brianna, as she did in the opera where she stabs him with a knife. <laughs> so I keep that uh, kind of symbolism.
1: You wouldn't have gotten there without the help of your daughter. And the other thing is right. that uh, uh, you bring to life in the book a little bit, the Fort Washington area in New York City, right. which is your daughter's home. And there's a scene in the book where you talk about uh, her Manhattan neighborhood. You said it bordered mm-hmm. the Hudson River with a view of the George Washington Bridge. And I like this line. Meeting people in her neighborhood was easier than in the suburbs of Charlotte, right? Right. (laughs) So you were taking the you're comparing the more pedestrian life to living in New York to maybe the suburban life, whereas you said, you wave to people as you pass them in their car.
0: Right. And in New York, and what I found when I went out there is you meet people on the street and uh, it's everybody I compared it to Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. You know, everybody thinks that New York is full of crime or whatever, but it's really sectioned off in neighborhoods. And everyone in that section uh, knows everybody because you're out on the street all the time. And I would take my daughter's uh, dogs for a walk and they didn't have any idea who I was, but they knew those two dogs, you know. <laughs> and so yeah. we would have a conversation that way. So it was a lot of fun.
1: So you you compare and contrast these two. Uh, settings that are in the book new york and charlotte but i noticed like even with the bar scene here you didn't name a particular bar in charlotte And you don't really dive deep into some of the setting in charlotte I'm just wondering what your thought process was there uh about setting it in charlotte but not uh uh did, did your lawyer say hey don't 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 make this happen in a bar <laughs> that has a real name <laughs> uh,
0: no um i just wanted to be kind of generic because yeah. it could be any bar yeah. and. Um, it was in a bad part of town, and Colt Jessup lives in a bad part of town. But um, it's pretty much generic. I don't know that I name specific things about Charlotte. I do in other books, but not particularly in this one. Hmm.
1: Well, um, let's talk just a little bit uh, about uh, your writing life, as uh, we, we, we said earlier on. Your You've written seven books. You're working on another one. you got this Colt Jessup series, which, uh, you know, a series is a nice uh, thing to have for an author in their catalog. Uh, You know, don't kill off your favorite character early on. It's a lesson that uh, Susan, (laughs) you learned (laughs) with your first book. But uh, now you can take this character that you love and and add some more stories to it. Um, it, it, That sort of gets Susan to the question I have about – you know, the business side of writing, because, you you know, you, you're you're developing your craft, you're getting better at what you do, you're putting out these good stories. Um, do you sometimes find it to be a struggle to sort of digest everything out there that's on the internet and elsewhere about how authors uh, who, who publish their own work and, and run their own publishing business should do certain things and how they should do it and what they should do and where they should spend their money?
0: Well, it's uh, pretty overwhelming. Um, I uh, follow a couple of groups on Facebook, uh, self-published authors, and everybody has their own ideas about how to market. And most authors hate marketing. Uh, We would rather just be sitting at our desks uh, creating stories all the time. But marketing is an important part of it. And it is overwhelming for me. And so I just try to gain knowledge uh, the best I can, either from the internet or from my members of my critique group and things like that, what they're doing, what they say works. And um, I really have a limited budget to spend, so I have to kind of uh, pick and choose what technique uh, I use to market.
1: Yeah, there's all kind of information out there and all kind of Thoughts and tips, but uh, with a series like you're developing, you'll have a funnel. You'll have a you know series of books, and if you can get uh, people hooked and interested in the first book, that'll help uh, as you go forward. But uh, you know, I, I found that authors who uh, run their own publishing business and uh, you know publishing their own books, um, you know, who treat their time as much in terms of you know spending their time on what we call marketing as they do writing their books, they're the ones that have you know the most success. They're actually spending that extra effort, but there are—I know there are things that you enjoy doing when you're actually in the marketing phase because you like speaking to people about the books, going to book signings, and that kind of thing. What's what's yeah. the what's the fun part for marketing from your standpoint?
0: Well, the fun part for me is uh, writing a blog, and I also send that out to my subscribers list. So I have thousands of people on my subscriber list. And they uh, come back to me, and so I have fans in Canada, Alabama, uh, all over, really. But I enjoy writing a blog and uh, connecting with people that way. And I found that blogs that I wrote like two years ago are read, and I can't even remember what the what it was about until I click on it. You know, I just see the title. But it's interesting that I have blogs out there, and they've been there for years. And somebody uh, will pick it up and read it, and then hopefully that uh, brings them to my books. Also, write uh, short stories, and um, I send those to my subscriber, and I'm hoping that they get a free short story and they enjoy it. Then they'll want to. you know, buy one of my books.
1: Yeah, good, good thoughts, good ideas. Um, in your process, uh, you're working. Uh, well, like everybody, I guess, working from home during during the pandemic. But uh, anything unique about your process? You write morning, afternoon, evening. You got to have the uh, all the doors shut and complete silence. Uh, do you go for a period of time and and, and then stop, or what? What's your process? Is
0: uh, my process is um, I write best in the morning when my brain is uh, sharp. So um I write every morning. I start around 930 or so and uh, stop at lunchtime. Then I go back and write for a couple of more hours. So uh, that's what I do. And then uh, usually the next day I will go back and edit what I wrote the day before and then start something new. But it, it really depends.
1: And you work in a critique group, right? You share your work with others.
0: Yes, yes. I, I would highly recommend that any writer belong to a critique group uh, because you need more eyes on your work anyway. And it's interesting that people uh, in the group will pick up something that nobody else picked up, you know, uh, an error or a misspelled word or the wrong word or something like that. Uh, but you get a lot of feedback, and that way you know at least Five or six people reading your stuff, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and, and a little plug here for the Charlotte Writers Club, which you and I are part of, and we met. Uh, you know, they offer critique uh, group opportunities for people to get together. Um, hey, Susan, um, I want to let the listeners know that you and I are going to do something fun here in just a moment. We're going to jump over to our Patreon page, and uh, uh, listeners, that's uh, you know, if you're if you're a Patreon supporter, we really appreciate it. Uh, but this is where uh, you listeners can support the mission of the podcast here, help us to free our cost. And, and when you do, you get, uh, these special episodes like, uh, Susan and I are going to do, um, uh, this one's going to be on creating captivating scenes, the building blocks for plot. We're going to dive into that, uh, on the uh, Patreon channel. That is, uh, dot com forward slash Charlotte readers podcast. Go check it out. Uh, we promise you're going to get, uh, uh, some some nuggets uh, of wisdom and information about uh, the writing lives of Susan and other authors through this platform. Susan, one final question here. Um, why do you write?
0: Uh, I write because I love it so much. And it's a good escapism for me and uh, therapy, you know, when life gets too stressful and, you know, you hear all these negative things and going on politics and the pandemic or whatever so it's a good escapism and therapy for
1: me and i can put you in that category of authors that uh, when i ask the question uh, what do you like better uh, you know marketing or you know working uh manual labor in landis wade's backyard you're gonna you're gonna come do some yard work for me right
0: right exactly <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah exactly well susan thanks so much for being a part of charlotte rears podcast
0: Thank you. I enjoyed being
1: here. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on.